Good morning, good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast, The God of Abraham. I'm your lovely host, Leslie Sullivan. And today I'm going to read to you guys what is called the Amidah, and I'm going to be reading the translation in English, because I guarantee you a lot of you know English, but you might also know Hebrew. So for this translation, I'm going to read the English version of what is called the Weekday Amidah. So this is a really good translation. There's only a couple things that I don't agree with in it. And what you what you need to remember about translations is that especially when they are being translated into English, not everything translates correctly because the English language is considered a dead language, meaning it's not something that you can easily translate into because it's not first of all, it's not an easy language to learn. It's not an easy language to translate into. It's not like how you can take Greek and translate into Hebrew and vice versa and then maybe into Latin and then Italian or French and then English whatever the case may be but a lot of these texts are originally written in Aramaic Hebrew and then translate into Greek so a lot of these translations they they do not translate directly so the accuracy is not going to be there is my point is it still a good prayer yes i love this prayer the amida is one of my favorite prayers to say It's just beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. But I, I am going to point out a couple of things that are not correct in this prayer, just so that you know. Sometimes there are flaws whenever you are translating things into English. It's kind of like God's holy word, the Holy Bible, and also the Torah within God's holy word. You know, these books, these holy scriptures of God, they were not written in English. That was not the first language for them to be written in. If anything, it's a translation of a translation of a translation. So, you know, there's a reason why I always suggest that whenever you're reading God's holy word, that you get multiple translations or versions of it, so to speak. So, you might have the King James version, then the New King James version, or the Amplified version. It's good to read those different translations and it's just neat to see them because you get different versions of God's holy word. Some of them I like, some of them I don't like. I don't like the message translation of of God's holy word because I think it's really watered down and I I don't like that. Um but I do think it is good to know God's holy word and to hear it, read it and see it in different versions or translations just so you get a full meaning of it. I think that's always a good thing. So, let's go ahead and read this here. And again, this is a translation of the Amidah. It says while praying concentrate on the meaning of the words and remember that you stand before the divine presence meaning the one true god. So we don't worship multiple gods that's very pagan. We just worship the one true god. It says before beginning Amidah take 3 steps back then 3 steps forward. Recite the Amidah quietly but audibly to yourself while standing with feet together. So let's start this puppy. It says my lord open my lips and my mouth shall declare your praise. Blessed are you lord our god and god of our fathers god of Abraham god of Isaac and god of Jacob the great mighty and awesome god exalted god who bestows bountiful kindness who creates all things who remembers the piety of the patriarchs and who in love brings a redeemer to their children's children for the sake of his name. Now during the 10 days of penitence you can add this part here. It says remember us for life king who desires life inscribe us in the book of life for your sake o living god then it goes back to the amada it says o king you are a helper a savior and a shield blessed are you lord shield of abraham you are mighty forever my lord you resurrect the dead you are you are powerful to save in the summer you say these words he causes the dew to descend in the winter You say he causes the wind to blow and the rain to fall. Going back to the Amidah, it says he sustains the living with loving kindness and resurrects the dead with great mercy, supports the falling, heals the sick, releases the bound and fulfills his trust who those who sleep in the dust. Who is like you mighty one? And who can be compared to you, king who brings death and restores life and causes deliverance to spring forth? Now here's the thing. that phrase who brings death and restores life that part who brings death that's not true god is not the author of disease sickness and death that's the evil one that's the devil from the pit of hell 
So remember, this is a translation of a translation of a translation. You know, here's the thing. Why would you worship a god that kills you, but that also, you know, created you and can restore life? God is not the author of death and disease. So that phrase, who brings death, that's not true. God does not bring death. It's the devil who does that. Like, I, I don't understand why sometimes these translations are so completely off. Like, sometimes, like, just these little words. It's just a little phrase. It says, who brings death? Nowhere in the Bible does God call himself a murderer or a killer. Nowhere. He can be a punisher, but he punishes our enemies. And also, when Jesus died at the cross over 2,000 years ago, Jesus destroyed death and disease forever. And that's God's holy son. So being that he did that, and we know those things to be true, why would anyone put who brings death, that phrase, into a translation of a very holy prayer? See, that's why you have to be careful whenever you're translating things, especially from a very ancient, holy language. Because again, English is not the original language. It's a good language. A lot of the world speaks it, but it is not the original language. It's not the original translation. Because he who brings death, that's, that has nothing to do with God. Because God does not bring death. That's not in his nature. God heals and restores. That's the God of Abraham we worship. So FYI, be aware that sometimes these translations are just a little off. And on this show, we will call it out. Like we will tell you straight up when something doesn't sound right. And we will question it. Because I think when you stop questioning things, then, then you're not paying attention to what's really there and what shouldn't be there is the thing. And this is something that you grow into over time. Like I think a lot of times we, we take everything at face value. Well, you can't always judge a book by its cover. That's why when you grow in your faith, you learn to question some of these things that sound off. Because if it doesn't reflect the goodness of God, then it's not from God. And that's the simple truth with that. And even God says in his holy word to question things. It's kind of like what uh, President Ronald Reagan said, uh, excuse me, said when he was president, trust but verify. It's the exact same thing. We need to start verifying especially the things that we trust because sometimes we really need to question what we trust, but here's the thing. We can always trust God. But I do not always trust a translation that does not reflect the goodness of God. And saying that God brings death, that's not true. That's a lie straight out of the pits of hell. See, because there's a the thing. If you believe that God brings death, why would you ask him to pray? Or why would you pray to him and ask him to heal you? If you think he's trying to kill you, why would you bother to ask him to keep you alive? Because if you believe that You know, God is supreme, knows all, and his decisions are better than ours. Then wouldn't it be, if, you go, if you're going along with that mindset, then wouldn't it be a slap in God's face or defiant against him if you questioned his authority to kill you? See what I mean? Like that, That's why that phrase, he who brings death, that's why it's not right. Because it goes against God's holy word. Again, God is not the author of sickness and disease. That's the evil one. Because the devil loves to destroy what God creates. That's why there's this battle. That's why there's this conflict. But when you give your life to Christ, which is God's son, the God of Abraham has a son and his name is Jesus. When you give your life to Christ, the battle is won. But if you deny Christ, you're denying the God of Abraham. And I definitely would not ever do that. First of all, I know God's truth. And number two, I would not take that risk. 
I just would not. But moving on, it says, during the ten days of penitence, you add this next part. It says, who is like you, merciful Father, who in compassion remembers his creatures for life? Well, if you think that God is the author of sickness and disease, why would you think that he remembers his creatures for life? See what I mean? Like, you can't, you can't have this mindset, or at least I wouldn't have this mindset, that God is trying to kill you, but he can also save you. You can't have oil and water at the same time. You can't have sickness and healing at the same time. I mean, think about it. When you're sick, you're not well. And when you're well, you're not sick. You can't have both at the same time. Going back to Amidah, it says you are trustworthy to revive the dead. Blessed are you, Lord, who revives the dead. So why would you say, blessed are you, Lord, who revives the dead, if you think he's bumped you off or he's trying to bump you off? Or that God has killed somebody else in your family and that it was ordained for them to die? God does not ordain death. God knows that we're going to die. He knows when we're going to die. But he doesn't put that into motion. Again, God is not the author of death and disease. He is not. He loves his children. Now the next part says, when Shazan repeats Amadah, Kadusha is recited here. This next part says, we will hallow and adore you as the sweet words of the assembly of the holy seraphim, who thrice repeat holy unto you, as it is written by your prophet and they call to one another and say holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory those facing them offer praise and say blessed be the glory of the lord from its place and in your holy scriptures it is written thus the lord shall reign forever your god o zion throughout all generations praise the lord next part of the amidah says you are holy and your name is holy And holy beings praise you daily for all eternity. Blessed are you, Lord, the holy God. You graciously bestow knowledge upon man and teach mortals understanding. Graciously bestow upon us from you wisdom, understanding and knowledge. Blessed are you, Lord, who graciously bestows knowledge. Cause us to return our father to your Torah. Draw us near our king to your service. and bring us back to you in wholehearted repentance blessed are you lord who desires penitence pardon us our father for we have sinned forgive us our king for we have transgressed for you are a good and forgiving god blessed are you lord gracious one who pardons abundantly oh behold our affliction and wage our battle redeem us speedily for the sake of your name for you god are the mighty redeemer blessed are you lord redeemer of israel Heal us, O Lord, and we will be healed. Help us, and we will be saved. For you are our praise. Grant complete cure and healing to all our wounds. For you, Almighty King, are a faithful and merciful healer. Blessed are you, Lord, who heals the sick of his people Israel. Bless for us, Lord our God, this year, and all the varieties of its produce for good. And bestow blessing upon the face of the earth. Satisfy, sorry, excuse me, satisfy us from your bounty and bless our year like other good years for blessing. For you are a generous God who bestows goodness and blesses the years. Blessed are you, Lord, who blesses the years. Sound the great shofar for our freedom. Raise a banner to gather our exiles and bring us together from the four corners of the earth into our land. Blessed are you, Lord, who gathers the dispersed of his people Israel. Restore our judges as in former times and our counselors as of yore. Remove from us sorrow and sighing and reign over us. You alone, O Lord, with kindness and compassion, with righteousness and justice. Blessed are you, Lord, King who loves righteousness and justice. Let there be no hope for informers, and may all the heretics and all the wicked instantly perish. May all the enemies of your people be speedily extirpated. And may you swiftly uproot, break, 
Crush and subdue the reign of wickedness speedily in our days. Blessed are you, Lord, who crushes enemies and subdues the wicked. May your mercies be aroused, Lord our God, upon the righteous, upon the pious, upon the elders of your people, the house of Israel, upon the remnant of their sages, upon the righteous proselytes, and upon us. Grant ample reward to all who truly trust in your name and place our lot among them. May we never be disgraced, for we have put our trust in you. Blessed are you, Lord, the support and security of the righteous. Return in mercy to Jerusalem, your city, and dwell therein as you have promised. Speedily establish therein the throne of David, your servant, and rebuild it soon in our days as an everlasting edifice. Blessed are you, Lord, who rebuilds Jerusalem. Speedily cause the skin of David your servant to flourish and increase his power by your salvation for we hope for your salvation all day blessed are you lord who causes the power of salvation to flourish hear our voice lord our god merciful father have compassion upon us and accept our prayers in mercy and favor for you are god who hears prayers and supplications do not turn us away empty-handed from you our king For you hear the prayer of everyone. Blessed are you, Lord, who hears prayer. Look with favor, Lord our God, on your people Israel, and pay heed to their prayer. Restore the service to your sanctuary, and accept with love and favor Israel's fire offerings and prayer. And may the service of your people Israel always find favor. This next segment can be read at Rosh Kodesh. This is really pretty here. It says, "Our God and God of our fathers." May their ascend, come and reach, be seen, be accepted and heard, recalled and remembered before you, the remembrance and recollection of us, the remembrance of our fathers, the remembrance of Meshkik, the son of David, your servant, the remembrance of Jerusalem, your holy city, and the remembrance of all your people, the house of Israel, for deliverance, well-being, grace, kindness, mercy, good life and peace. on this day of and there are a couple different days that you can mention here basically on the day of Rosh Kodesh on the holiday of Passover which is the festival of Mazat or the holiday of Sukkot or the festival of Sukkot so very interesting there that you can list off these different days depending on what exactly you're celebrating and what exactly what is the day of in the Jewish calendar very important there it goes on to say remember us on this day lord our god for good Be mindful of us on this day for blessing. Help us on this day for good life with the promise of deliverance and compassion. Spare us and be gracious to us. Have mercy upon us and deliver us. For our eyes are directed to you, for you God are a gracious and merciful king. Then it goes on with the rest of the Amidah. It says, "May our eyes behold your return to Zion in mercy. Blessed are you, Lord, who restores his divine presence to Zion." We thankfully acknowledge that you are the Lord our God and God of our fathers forever. You are the strength of our life, the shield of our salvation in every generation. We will give thanks to you and recount your praise evening, morning and noon for our lives which are committed into your hand, for our souls which are entrusted to you, for your miracles which are with us daily, and for your continual wonders and beneficences. You are the beneficent one. For your mercies never cease, the merciful one. For your kindnesses never end. For we always place our hope in you. This next part can be added during Hanukkah and Purim. This is really pretty here. It says, "And we thank you for the miracles, for the redemption, for the mighty deeds, for the saving acts, and the wonders which you have wrought for our ancestors in those days and at this time." Now, just so you know, Hanukkah can be spelled with an H or a CH. So when it's spelled with a ch, it looks like you would pronounce it Chanuka, but it's pronounced with an h. So that's why it's pronounced Hanukkah. This next part is recited during Hanukkah. So it says, "In the days of Matiyahu, the son of Yekonin the high priest, the Hasmonean and his sons, when the wicked Hellenic government rose up against your people Israel, to make them forget your Torah and violate the decrees of your will." But you and your abounding mercy stood by them in the time of their distress. You waged their battles, defended their rights, and avenged the wrong done to them. You delivered the mighty into the hands of the weak, the many into the hands of the few. 
the impure into the hands of the pure, the wicked into the hands of the righteous, and the wanton sinners into the hands of those who occupy themselves with your Torah. You made a great and holy name for yourself in your world, and and affected a great deliverance and redemption for your people to this very day. Then your children entered the shrine of your house, cleansed your temple, purified your sanctuary, kindled lights in your holy courtyards, and instituted these eight days of Hanukkah to give thanks and praise to your great name. Now on on Purim, you continue with this next part, and this part is really interesting. It says in the days of Mordecai and Esther and Shushan the capital, when the wicked Haman rose up against them and sought to destroy, slaughter and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, infants and women in one day, on the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to take their spoil for plunder. But you in your abounding mercies foiled his counsel and frustrated his intention and caused the evil he planned to recoil on his own head. and they hanged him and his sons upon the gallows going on with the almadot says and for all these may your name our king be continually blessed exalted and extolled forever and all time now during the 10 days of penitence you add this next little part it says inscribe all the children of your covenant for a good life then it goes back to the almadot it says and all living creatures or all living things shall forever thank you and praise your great name eternally for you are good God you are our everlasting salvation and help O benevolent God blessed are you Lord beneficent is your name and to you it is fitting to offer thanks be do sorry bestow peace goodness and blessing life graciousness kindness and mercy upon us and upon all and upon all your people Israel bless us our father all of us as one with the light of your countenance for by the light of your countenance you gave us Lord our God the torah of life and loving kindness righteousness blessing mercy life and peace may it be favorable in your eyes to bless your people israel at all times and at every moment with your peace now this next part this little snippet this is what you can also add in during the 10 days of penitence and here it is and in the book of life blessing peace and prosperity deliverance consolation and favorable decrees May we and all your people the house of Israel be remembered and inscribed before you for a happy life and for peace. Going on with Almadot says blessed are you Lord who blesses his people Israel with peace. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable before you Lord my strength and my redeemer. My God guard my tongue from evil and my lips from speaking deceitfully. Let my soul be silent to those who curse me. Let my soul be as dust to all. Open my heart to your Torah and let my soul eagerly pursue your commandments. As for all those who plot evil against me, hasten to annul their counsel and frustrate their design. Let them be as chaff before the wind, let the angel of the Lord thrust them away, that your beloved ones may be delivered. Help with your right hand and answer me. Do it for the sake of your name. Do it for the sake of your right hand. Do it for the sake of your Torah. Do it for the sake of your holiness. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable before you Lord my strength and my redeemer. He who makes peace in his heavens, may he make peace for us and for all Israel and say amen. May it be your will, Lord our God and God of our fathers, that the Bet Amakesh be speedily rebuilt in our days and grant us our portion in your Torah. Very beautiful translation. There's only a couple parts I don't like, but again, That's because this is a language that's been translated into English. So more than likely, it starts out in Hebrew or Aramaic and then gets translated on down. Also, what you have to remember is how the translators interpret different languages that are not their native tongue. That's another thing. So that's why for example, you might see different translations of God's holy word, his Bible, and you will know that there's a difference between like for example the amplified version and the king james version so the king james version is literally that was written for monarchies it was not written for everyday people cuz back in the day everyday people were not literate you know literacy was considered a luxury so it's one of those things you have to remember that over time things change but also within that change are people's perceptions like just imagine you know let's say for example 
you were taught to be literate but you are not part of the bureaucracy so to speak like you're not a higher up in society way 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 back in the day do you think you're going to have a positive opinion of kings and queens when you are translating a language so that other people like yourself can read it you know let's say you're not of the upper crust as they say i'm saying that sometimes people's personal intentions get in the way of the actual meaning And sometimes I see that especially whenever things are translated into English because you're having to rely on people to not put their own personal touch on something. You see, God's holy word whether it's his, you know, the the holy bible or the Torah or the 54 books of the apocrypha which are also his holy word but stupidly the Catholic Church and one of the little committees banned quite a few books from the Bible. You know what's interesting is that God, he doesn't need our help with his holy word. God doesn't need our help with scripture. He doesn't need our advice. We need his wisdom. We need his insight. So I find it to be very interesting whenever I read a different translation or a different version of holy scripture and I'm like, wow, sometimes this sounds right and then other times it does not because th- there's a difference I would say in the intention and in translating. It's kind of like whenever you are giving a report. Let's say for example, you work in, let me think what would be a good example. Well, let's say you work in the engineering department of the firm that you are employed by. And let's say you have to give just a basic report about what's going on with a product that you helped to invent. And you're saying, "Hey, here are the pros, here are the cons." Here's where we can make it better. Here's where we need to change some things. So you're just giving the nuts and bolts of the report, right? And you're just saying it like it is. You're just presenting the facts. Whereas, you know, let's say for example, another person in the same company, let's say they're from the sales department. And let's say for example, their job and their department is on the line. Do you think they're going to say anything bad? about what's been going on if their job and their career is about to get the axe. You know what I mean? So, yes, they are presenting information about the exact same product. But it may not be the whole truth and nothing but the truth. You know what I mean? Like like there there's a slant to it. It's what can I get out of this? And also, how can I preserve my reputation? And also, how can I kind of somewhat change the course of history and get other people to agree with me kind of thing. Sometimes that's how things are translated. I don't agree with it, but sometimes that is what happens cuz sometimes the human heart can be fickle. However, I think it's better that if ever you are working in the world of languages and translations and things like that, you always need to go to the God of Abraham and ask him to help you translate whatever needs to be translated correctly and accurately and not have your own personal slant on it. You know, God doesn't need our personal opinion to be God. Let me say that again. God doesn't need our personal opinion to be God. But yet we need him in our life. and it's not his opinion that we need because God is not a god of opinions he's just factual he's very down to earth he's black and white yes and no he says it like it is and we will see that in his holy word that God is not shy at all he's respectful and he's a gentleman but he's not shy like for example when when God sent a prophet to different regions and tells them hey you need to repent or basically you're going to get blown off the face of the map. And he's very blunt. You either repent or you're wiped out. And see here's the thing, a lot of people will read the will read the Old Testament and the, they will get this horrible opinion of God that he's just a a a, a revengeful horrible god who's angry all the time at all people that is not true that's a lie straight out of the pit of hell 
See, the devil wants us to—he wants us to think that we can't trust God with anything ever, and that's not true. We can trust God with anything and everything, anything and everything. But look at it from this way: if you never trust God with anything and everything, who are you trusting? More than likely, yourself. Or you're just putting everything at the at the feet of your government and expecting your government to handle all your problems. Well, gee, that's atheism. Atheism can't save you. God can. Atheism cannot. And atheism has pretty much become indoctrinated into our young people, and I don't agree with that at all. I think our young people deserve so much better, so 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 much better. You know, I think more young people would be calm and normal if they knew who the God of Abraham is, and that He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't don't ever throw your relationship with God away. Don't ever throw it away. You know, for for the sake of I don't know being an elitist, or for the sake of fitting in. It does not pay to fit into this world. God calls us to His own. He calls us to be His, and being that we are His and His alone, why would you accept anything less than God's best? That just makes no sense to me. But here's the thing: I think a lot of people accept less than God's best because they think that's just how it is, and they don't recognize that you know whatever you sacrifice in terms of you know your your joy, your happiness, your faith, your soul. Nothing can ever replace that. Nothing. But yet, so many people try and replace God with all these different ideologies and, and these false doctrines, like you know, Buddhist, Hinduism, uh, Mormonism, um, the the Muslim religion is a cult. Atheism is technically a cult. Agnosticism is technically a cult. And the reason why is because it's a false doctrine. It's a false belief system, and because it's a false belief system, and it pulls you away from God, it's a form of heresy, and it is a form of paganism. You know, a lot of people, and I'll close with this: a lot of people don't understand that you know to be pagan, you don't have to worship multiple gods to be pagan. To be a pagan, all you have to do is question the one true God and worship something else, whether you realize it or not. And what a lot of atheists don't realize, as smart as they are, they don't realize that whatever you idolize is what you worship. So for atheists, they tend to really extremely focus on science and knowledge. You know, there are a whole lot of things that we don't know about, and we may never know. But the one who does know everything is the God of Abraham. So, so why would you worship something that's not holy, that's not godly? And here's the thing: God gives us knowledge; He gives us all these things. And what's interesting is that whenever people start worshiping what God gave them instead of worshiping the God who gave it to them, big difference there. In our day and age, a lot of people don't like to use that word "pagan." They think it's wrong. They think it's offensive. I'm like, it's just a word. It's a word that describes something very specific. You'd be surprised how many people hate the dictionary, and not only do they hate it, but they are trying to add words to it that don't mean anything. And they're trying to change the very definition of so many words because they don't want people to know what they're really believing in, and they don't want people to know what's really going on. That's a cult. That is a classic cult. Believe in what I say, but don't have a clue what's going on. That's a cult. Classic cult, and cults are nothing new. Nothing new. You know, if you read God's holy word in the Old Testament, you will see where there is cult after cult after cult, and guess what? 
That's a really bad way to live. God calls them out. He gives them a chance to repent. A lot of them do not repent. And see, here's the thing. We worship the one true God, which is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we worship a jealous God. He doesn't want you to be claimed by anybody else except him. Why? Because we are his children. We are the seed of Abraham. He's very protective of us. He doesn't want the devil to get his clutches or his claws into our flesh, into our mind, into our souls. He's trying to protect us. So whenever in the Bible it says that God is a jealous God, it it's not the kind of jealousy that you see on TV like with cheaters or cheating on cheaters or something. It's not like that. Or when someone is jealous of someone else's prosperity, it's not talking about that at all. What it's talking about is is being pure. You know, think of it this way. Let's say you're married. Let's say you have a husband and a wife. and one of the spouses cheats on the other and they find out about it how do you think that spouse is going to feel when they learn that their beloved is cheating on them they get a righteous anger they get a righteous jealousy i don't want anybody else touching what's mine that's how god feels about us He doesn't want us to be manipulated by anybody or anything. He wants us to understand that he loves us and he has separated us out of this world to be his own. That's why you can't go along with inclusivism. Because we are exclusively God's children. We are exclusively the seed of Abraham. And being that we know that to be true, we have to start calling out these lies of the devil within our society. One of them that I can't stand is being inclusive. And so many employers have adopted this policy of inclusivism and I think that's a huge mistake. Because how can you be inclusive but yet fire someone for doing something that's wrong. It's like if you are inclusive, then how can you actually write someone up or fire them for sexual harassment? Because all that person has to say is, "Well, I thought you're inclusive. Are you shaming me? Are you blaming me?" See, that's the problem with with adopting really bad policies that are unholy. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about just getting things straight from God. This is why we cannot afford to accept anything than less than God's best. We just can't. We just cannot. So instead of adopting the policy of being inclusive, be exclusive. If you want to see how being inclusive has really ruined society, look at what is going on in the public school system in the United States and the so-called higher education, you know, universities, those those schools are messed up now. Even worse, if you look at what Trudeau is doing in Canada, extreme liberalism, extreme inclusivism. I mean, the man—it's like he talks out of both sides of his face. It just makes no sense. But see, here's the thing—he's—he keeps getting voted into office. Yeah, you know, just because you want to be prime minister in Canada, that doesn't mean you get to be prime minister. Like people actually have to vote for you. They have to nominate you. So it's one of those things that you'd be surprised how many people complain about something, but yet they are the very problem that they are complaining about, but they won't acknowledge it. They won't. It's like you cannot complain about your country and your leader if you're the one who put them in charge. Because whenever you accept less than God's best, guess what? You are going to have problems. There is going to be fraud, there's going to be fraud, waste, embezzlement, a whole lot of bad laws that take place that are just really evil, especially in regards to eugenics. 
And eugenics is a big problem, a tremendous problem in Canada right now. It's really bad. Like I don't know if any of you are wanting to immigrate to Canada, but I certainly wouldn't. I mean, I don't even want to visit there. Like I'm not going to give them my money as a tourist. I mean, I just I'm not going to support that country. They are becoming increasingly or are increasingly evil. It's just really sad. And here's the thing. If you just go, "Oh, well, that's just Canada." Guess what? You're practicing inclusiveness. You know, back in the day, we used to call people out on stuff. That doesn't mean be rude, that doesn't mean be hateful, it just means you say, "Hey, that's not right." There's something really wrong with what you're saying and what you're doing. And I would say that if anyone if anyone has a question about that and they're being mean to you, just say, "Hey, have you read God's holy word?" And if they throw it back at you and say, "Oh, you're just going to quote the Bible?" It's like, "I didn't quote the Bible. I asked you, have you read God's holy word?" And if they're still standing there lecturing you, pull out the book of Psalms. Pull up on your phone, your iPad, or if you have your Bible, just say, "Hey, just for a moment, can you read Psalm 91 out loud to me?" Read Psalm 91. Could you do me this one kindness? Read Psalm 91 and read it slowly because I want to hear every word. Ask them to read it to you. And see what happens. God's holy word will always pump the brake. It stops evil. It calls bad people out. And guess what? You didn't have to do that. because God did it for you. That's why we go to God with everything. We have the responsibility to stand up for what's right. We have the responsibility to do what's right, to say what's right. But we have to do it God's way. And when you say, "Hey, what does God's word say about that?" What does God's word say about that? That doesn't mean be a Bible thumper, it just simply means you're asking a question, well, what does God say about that? What does God's holy word say about that? And if someone says, "Well, I don't believe in God," I would say, "Well, that's probably your biggest problem right there." Because you may not believe in him, but he believes in you. And here's the thing, because he believes in you, he wants what is best for you. And if you're going against his divine plan, that's a big problem. See, it's it all it's about is just proactive conversation and helping people to I'm trying to think of the best way to describe this, help them to recognize God's love for them, but let it be their idea. Cuz I can tell people all day and all night, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. I can be a a a revolving door of that phrase, God loves you, God loves you. If they don't know love and if they don't have love in their heart and their heart is cold and bitter or shattered, it doesn't matter how many times I say God loves you, they will not listen and it will anger them. So instead of saying God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, just say, "Hey, would you read this to me?" And it doesn't have to be on camera. It doesn't have to be recorded. Just pull them aside and say, "Hey, come here for a second. Come here for a second." And just do that privately and just say, "Hey, Could you read this out loud to me? Could you read this to me? Usually when you pull someone aside, they calm down. And they're more likely to listen to you, and even more importantly, they are more likely to open their heart to God. Because that's the goal. Is to get more people to open their heart to God. realize who they are in Christ Jesus and start honoring and worshiping the God of Abraham. But here's the thing, if people don't want to, if they reject it, that's on them, it's not on you. You know what? Some people they're they're just um abundantly defiant. I guess is the best way to describe it. And sadly some people will go to hell. That's just how it is. You know, there's a reason why 
hell is very vast in terms of open space because there's going to be more people in hell than in heaven that's just how it is god knows that so if someone rejects god that's on them and just because they reject god wants that doesn't mean they reject god forever in their lifetime because for all we know maybe they reject god you know their entire life but then on their deathbed they're like god forgive me help me i give my life to christ and in that moment they're saved and then when they pass away they go to heaven so just because someone seems like they're going to hell they may not end up there because it's between them and god we still have the responsibility to be who god calls us to be because we are his children we are the seed of abraham and here's the thing if someone doesn't someone doesn't want to go to heaven i mean that's their choice because god doesn't send people to hell people send them they send themselves to hell that may offend some people but that that's the truth because god gives us a choice he gave us free will When we were kicked out of the garden, he gave us free will. So it's like, well, if you have free will, then then it's on you. That's just simply put. But I will go ahead and in this podcast, um but as usual to next time, I pray that you're happy, healthy and whole, that you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you so much. God bless. Shalom. Bye-bye.